0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Linux security, episode number three, where we're going to talk about Linux distro migrations, and the security challenges that are associated with that. As always, my name is Jay, and I'm with my name is John Craya.
1: I'm with TechScare, technical evangelist
0: for TechScare. And it's a pleasure to be here with you, Jay, as it is for me as well. So, um, yeah, I love this podcast, but I'm biased. What can I say? (laughs) Anything with Linux in the name, right? Um, Because I I think I'm obsessed. Um, So there's a lot of challenges when it comes to enterprise. Well, I guess enterprise anything, right? I mean, some enterprises can't even keep the fridge running in the break room. But when it comes to servers, obviously, which is uh, the whole point of this show, um, Linux is very popular. I don't think anyone would argue with me on that. And if you look at DistroWatch, even though DistroWatch is totally not a metric of anything at all, and it's not a true order of popularity, but when you look at it, I mean, you look at the number of distributions and there's a lot. So enterprises, um, you know, changes costly and sometimes changes required. But even more importantly, when things aren't secure or basically end of life, there's no security patches, then the risk of a security event goes through the roof. And that's not something that any enterprise wants to deal with and shouldn't deal with. And there's some challenges for, you know, when it comes to keeping your distributions online and supported, which one do you go with? And when a distribution makes a decision that you don't agree with or, you know, disrupts security, uh, how do you move to something else? It it sounds easy to some, but it doesn't sound easy to me. It's actually quite painful, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah.
1: And um, in the, the enterprise space, uh, these types of decisions when moving from one distribution to another, this always affects lots of things. It's not just the operating system on one system, it's usually dozens or hundreds or thousands of servers that we're talking about. And you need to consider everything from application compatibility to some kind of monitoring system that you have that has to work with a new distribution, just like it did with the old one. And it's just lots of moving parts. But I'd like to start here with, uh, with the disclaimer, full disclaimer here. Like I said, I work for TaxCare and we have extended lifecycle support, which is, a server that ex- which is a service that extends support for Linux distributions that go end-of-life and you need to keep them running. But that's not what we are talking about here. Right. Um, we're going over the actual challenges when you reach end-of-life and what you ca- what you can do when you're faced with that situation and not necessarily about the service that we provide. Yep. and having that out of the way, um, this is actually a really important, uh, a really important topic. Um, the Linux distribution is the operating system, obviously, but that's not all that it that it is. When you talk about migrating to a new distribution, it affects the applications that you're running. It affects the compatibility with. Uh, any libraries that you want to install. If you are running a website that was designed in the in the company that you need to run on your servers, you need to make sure that the new distribution that you migrate to is compatible with that, it has the required libraries in place, it has all that. And a decision like that, it takes a lot of time to actually see through. You need lots of testing, you need to replicate your environment, like we mentioned a few episodes ago, if you have a lab environment, some virtual machines running a live environment that's great for this type of situations. Yep. And um, yeah, it's just more serious than most people realize at face value. Um, that's so true.
0: Yeah. And it's also in some enterprises out there are managed services providers and they might be hosting, you know, hundreds or thousands or more clients on their infrastructure. So, at that point it's not even just their organization it's all the other organizations that depend on them to keep their stuff running because there's a lot of companies out there smaller companies that maybe can't afford an entire it team so they just you know of course hire a managed services provider to host their infrastructure and when they their the chosen distribution has an issue or is out of support or something like that um there's, that's a that's potential downtime in migration work, not just for that organization, but many others that are associated with that organization. Yeah. And it can keep people up at night, literally. It can keep people up at night and it will
1: keep system administrators up during the weekends to perform the migration tasks, because yeah. those won't happen during regular work hours. Those will have to go on overtime and the sysadmin teams will have to stay up late or work on the weekends to, to get those migrations done. Yep. And um, yeah, consider just this simple example: you're running a, a Red Hat-based distribution, a CentOS or something like that, and you decide to migrate to a Debian-based distribution. Simple stuff like the name of the packages, for example, Apache and HTTPD, that will break your deployment scripts. That will break your <laughs> checks, your your service checks. And like that, there are hundreds of those things that you need to consider when you're moving to a different distribution. And, uh, and that's why a decision like CentOS announced last year was so painful for most uh, companies
0: that were using CentOS. Um, it really was. Yeah, it was just really disruptive. And I just have this, I had this image in my head when this news broke that You know, there's probably a ginormous number of IT people and their management team in a boardroom meeting right now as this news is coming out all across the world, you know, Um, and everyone's talking about it. What do we do here? How do we we go forward with this new news that was not new now? I mean, this is some time ago, but it's still cascadingly affecting other people and companies.
1: It is because... And we're not talking about the move from CentOS 8 to CentOS Stream. Red Hat is perfectly in their right to do a a shift in direction for the project. That's not the the issue. The real sting on that announcement was that they were curtailing the support that they announced that would last until 2029, and that will now only last until the end of this year, December 31st, 2021. That's eight years less. On the enterprise, when you're preparing a migration at scale, when you're thinking about moving all of your servers to a different distribution, you need months just to get the full list of all the applications that are running, all the, intera- the interactions that are happening between the different servers. And it takes a lot of planning, it takes a lot of effort, and it takes a lot of thought to actually get the, the plan going. Not the real migration, just get everything written down that you need to do to get the migration yep. done. Yeah,
0: and I'm so, in full agreement completely because i mean there's a lot of anger about this and i understand you know people can get angry when a situation comes up that they didn't expect because it causes anxiety and you know all of a sudden you find out you're working more hours when you didn't think you were going to Um, but like you said you know it's red Hat's decision and it's their trademark they could do whatever they want with that they they could um, change the logo to daffodils and it's fine right Um, nobody i mean they it's their product they could do what they want and and you know, putting, you know, any frustration or anger aside, I mean, from a business standpoint, they're just, you know, doing what they're doing. I think for me, when it comes to business, it's just don't make your customers angry or at least, you know, w- when you say you're going to do something, do do that. If they had said, yeah, it was sent to us, eight, it'll have a year of support, maybe two, I don't know. We're not sure, we're kind of going along. I mean, at least they're being honest. Of course, nobody's going to use it if they don't know how much support they're going to get. But I don't think anyone would be upset at them for pulling the rug out from underneath their feet because they were told, you know, they're, they're not getting that long of support, but they were told they're getting, what was it, 10 years of support, I think?
1: Yeah, I think it was 10 years that they were announcing initially. And then yeah. it was down to just <laughs> 12 months. So that's a huge difference there. Really and ironically, was. For the people that were still running CentOS 7 and hadn't updated to 8, those get support until 2024.
0: That is hilarious to me because yeah. we tell people, don't stick to the old distribution. Yeah. Don't wait
1: <laughs> until the last minute to move. And then those guys, they got lucky and they have three more
0: years to, to plan the migration to somewhere else. Wow, it's like my procrastination totally paid off. Um, yeah. That's not something you get to say very often, is it? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I wish we did more. Um, but uh, yeah, and this was basically one of the reasons that you saw so many new distributions pop up in, at the start of this year. You got Talma Linux, you got Rocky Linux, you got uh, CentOS, uh, sorry, you got Oracle Linux coming out as the and announcing they already were established but they claiming to be the, the ideal replacement for CentOS. And the driving force behind all of these new announcements was this decision, this announcement by Red Hat on December of last year. And the thing is, even if you started immediately to plan and to try to find the ideal solution and the ideal migration path away from whatever, from however many installations of CentOS 8 you had to when something new, 12 months would be short. And there are still organizations that haven't done that work by now. So they only have four months until the end of the year and then until they lose support. And this type of migration, it doesn't happen in four months. If you have any considerable amount of servers, four months will not cut it. Because like I said before, it's not going to happen during the work time. It's the regular work hours. It's going to happen on weekends. It's going to happen on downtime. It's going to happen during the night and you have to pay extra time and you have to get the sysadmins to agree to come working during the night to do those things. So, yep. other than the planning that, is, that takes a long time, the implementation also takes a long time. You need to do a proper operating system migration. People at home are screaming probably now, oh, but I just pop a new version in, I install it, what's the problem? Well, the problem when you're a company and you have thousands of servers to upgrade is that you're not going to each one and do the, the migration by hand on each one. You're going to create scripts to deploy that migration operation. And guess what? You tested this on the first 10 servers that you had installed that were running Apache and had the mod SSL and PHP deployed. But the 20 after that, they had something slightly different and the script will fail on those. And then you have to fix the script and run it again and make sure you didn't break anything by mistake. And it's a lot of effort that goes into a migration. It's not as easy as right. doing it at home on your own server.
0: And what makes it even tougher is that from my experience, you always find something new about your, you know, deployments that you didn't quite know or think about, right? So, you know, we, I, I, you know, one time, for example, I was working with a company migrating, um, you know, all the servers to AWS, and it was a successful project at the end of it. But the developers that wrote the software, that was where the challenge was. Like, it wasn't even even that. I mean, yeah, the operating system changing was very, very hard. It took I I want to say over a year, and that was just one. But part of it, it, it the developers actually hard coded all the paths and everything. So when you change the distribution, yeah. obviously none of the paths work in the code, and they're constantly finding bugs and edge cases. Uh, we'll we'll leave that out of this because it doesn't. This isn't the development podcast. But <laughs> it was a big effort. But my, my point with that was, you know, you, you you take a look at everything and you find. Additional things that are wrong and need to be changed, and it just doesn't seem to stop because that's just the way it goes often. And I've had some people comment on my YouTube channel; um, they'll say, "Well, what's the big deal? We just changed distributions. It's not hard." And then I think of it like, "Well, maybe not for you. Maybe you work, you know, in a company where they they have they're doing everything right." you know, relative paths, and um, you've tested all the distros already before this happens. So moving isn't really a problem. But you're in the minority, honestly, like, I I would just venture a guess, 90% or more of enterprises, they're not that ready for something like this. And it's very unusual and rare when they are, I hope that everyone becomes ready for this. And this is an important lesson to learn. But we'll see, I guess.
1: They'll have to decide either way. The the choice is just do they want to be forced into a decision that they might regret a few months down the line, or do they want to do the right decision and select actually get the right replacement for CentOS that they're going to have to pick? And and there are many options that you can go with. I already mentioned Alma Linux and Rocky and Oracle, but those are binary compatible with CentOS and those are probably the easiest path forward because most things will hopefully stay in the same place in your scripts and your deployment tools and all that, they won't need much work. Right. But let's say that you're annoyed by the whole situation and you went to try something different and you go for a different architecture like Debian-based distribution, or Ubuntu, or something like that. Yeah. And okay, now you have a, a whole new set of problems. You have a new package management system, you have new package names, you have new tooling that you need to adjust. And again, it's going to take lots of time, it's going to take lots of effort to actually get right, and you're going to face issues. And the time window is always shrinking. There's no way of putting this this way, of putting it other ways.
0: Right. The time that you have
1: to perform that migration, it only gets smaller. And because this is a, a network security podcast, right? like I told you before, the easiest way to not be patched is when you don't have the patches available. If the vendor is no longer providing patches for the operating system that you're, used, that you're using, you're halfway there to being hacked. The vulnerabilities won't stop appearing just because you don't have patches for the system. And it's just a matter of time. You need to move to somewhere else. And you uh, need
0: you to, be able to... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say, like, you are able to say that you're up to date every day.
1: <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, are, yeah, but you're you will also be out of compliance because compliance right. says you can't go x amount of days without patching or you yep. need x amount of days between a vulnerability being announced and the patch being deployed so you immediately you lose that. compliance yep and for many areas that means loss of
0: business if
1: you're not compliant you can't do business say, with the government or something like that
0: absolutely so what do you think is a um the best way forward for enterprise to prepare for the possibility that their distribution might become something they either can't use or don't want to use for example
1: they should probably have a migration plan written down somewhere that gets updated i don't know once or twice per year mm-hmm. that's probably the best idea And that migration plan you could have things like an actual list of the applications that you're using and any special configurations that they require any special tweaks that you apply to the systems that you're running that you'll need to redo on a new installation. And you should try to keep that that deployment manual as up-to-date as possible. You shouldn't have to touch it every day or every month or something like that, but looking at it at least twice a year, that would probably be good. And again, this is something that sounds obvious, but if you consider the amount of steps involved with the uh, migration, with the system upgrade, You'll be amazed at how many and how involved they are. You'll need to perform backups. You'll need to make sure you have drivers available. You need to make sure your support is in place so that if something goes wrong, you can contact somebody else to help you with it. You'll need to make sure your team is on time and is ready on that day that you're going to do the migration. You'll have to check that the applications are running. It's a lot of things. Um, yeah. I'll probably send you a link this so that we can live with, um, with the video. Um, to a checklist that we have available on our website, on the TaxScare website, it's under resources. It's a migration checklist and it has the details. And if you've never seen a migration uh, document before, you can look there and it has all the details that you need to add to it. So that might be interesting and useful for some people, at least we hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, again, if you're only experienced with doing this is at home, in your home lab, you are not getting the full experience. You don't have the experience of having your boss breathing down your neck. Is it done yet? Is it working? Why is it down? Why are we not making money? Why is the website down? Why are we getting complaints on the help desk? Yeah. That doesn't happen at home, okay? You don't get that pressure. But on yeah. the enterprise, you do. And that's something that really messes with some people. So, this is going to be a very interesting end of the year for the companies that are not uh, that have not prepared yet and that are doing the migration right now. And you should take some pills and calm down a bit and think things yeah. over. And again, and this will be the only plug that I'm going to make if you need more time, there are uh, there are third parties that will have extended support that can help you get more time to do the operation.
0: Absolutely. And, no, that that really um, is a good point about the home lab, because I think, you know, a lot of the the individuals that make comments on the, the channel about what's the big deal. Um, yeah. I mean, what's the worst thing that happens in my home lab? Um, you know, my kids come downstairs. Dad, the Plex server is offline. OK, go play outside, you know, just just go go. Override ride your bike or something. And, and I'll get to that later, um, which would probably do them some good anyway to get away from the screen. So I guess the that mm-hmm. we're going down is probably a good thing, but in the enterprise, you know, it's not like that. It's just exactly what you said. And I have experienced that many times, not for migrations, but malware. I think I might've mentioned that in the podcast. I don't remember. It just comes into the network and wreaks havoc. And it's like two weeks of my life where mm-hmm. I had no personal time. And it's like, These are, there's a lot of moving parts in the enterprise. And the bigger the company I find, the more moving pieces there are and the more complicated these things end up being. If you're in a small company, like five people, it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. You have a dozen servers or whatever that, I mean, it's still a lot of work, you can get through that. But like you said, if you have a thousand servers, oh boy, you are definitely going to have a, a hard time with that.
1: Yeah. And you can say goodbye to that Christmas vacation you were planning.
0: Yep. And, uh, but I got that $50 Amazon gift card for my boss. He appreciated it. Um, But okay. So, so in the topic of what can you do about it? Um, my solution isn't really a solution. I'm not basing this on market research. This isn't like a peer reviewed study or anything like that. It's just personal experience, but I also have a very unfair advantage here because when I look at my business, um, I never wanted to base on one distro. Now, technically, I am basing on one distro because I use Ubuntu Server and everything. I write the book on it, um, disclaimer of course. But um, the honest truth is that, um, as much as I love Ubuntu Server, Canonical—I don't know—they could be bought out by a company someday I don't like, or make a decision that I'm not on board with, or just—I don't. Who knows what can happen, right? So this distribution that all my servers are running right now. I'm fully aware, and I've always been, that the situation can change. So my tooling has always, for example, with Ansible used variables for package names, just like you mentioned Apache 2 is a package name for Debian, it's HTTPD on uh, Red Hat distros. Um, Basically, on my end, it's just um, Apache package. It's a variable. And depending on the distribution, it pops in whatever it happens to be. Now, my unfair advantage is that I've designed my infrastructure for my business from the get-go like this. So right now, it supports Ubuntu, it supports uh, Debian and Arch, because I don't know why I chose Arch, we're not going to get into that. But um, the fact is, um, I can support multiple distributions in place. I can move one in and and out um, right now. And you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference from the deployment because the Bash shell is going to be exactly the same, the config files, the colors, like... I, I spent a lot of time on this. Now the problem is the, the advantage that I have is I started out like this. Now a company is is gonna have a hard time creating what I've created retroactively and recreating their infrastructure you know, to support mul- multiple distros. Um, they really don't have time for that. Now I'd hope enterprises are able to dedicate some time here and there to test their deployments and other distributions, document what they find and try to have some kind of idea like what the other world is like because that could pay off someday. And that's what I hope uh, people do. That being said, you wouldn't want to work on a secret project and get in trouble with your boss because you're spending time working on a project that's not been approved. But I think it's at least worth getting the discussion going and using the CentOS thing as an example. You know, This could happen to us. Maybe you're a Debian shop or Ubuntu or something. What Absolutely. do we do if we need to move? And I think we should spend some time testing out other distributions to be you know able to handle that and be able to pivot and i really hope people do that more
1: yeah. yeah absolutely and going back to what you said on the enterprise you're hardly ever going to face the situation of having to start from scratch right it, this has been done over the years it's an accretion process the new server a new service something new gets installed a few dozen servers are brought up to serve as web servers like for the company website and then a few years later, they get another 10 or 20 for the shopping website or something like that. yeah And yeah, it's an accretion process. It doesn't happen all at the same time. It doesn't happen all at once. And the same is true about uh, say monitoring, monitoring tools, something yep. like Nagios that you configure, you add your servers that you want to monitor and you start adding some metrics that you need to keep, keep tabs on and if you go from one distribution to another that's very different, the metrics won't match. They have different names, they'll have different paths, they won't be on the same place. And when you deployed them, when you deployed Nadges, when you configured it for those servers, you did never consider that the passes would ever move. So now you have to go back and redo that configuration. Yep. And uh, yeah, there are a lot of moving parts that need to be considered when when migrating to a different operating system.
0: Absolutely. And the, the cascading security effect here, you know, people are looking for problems all the time. You know, there's bots out there, as you know, there's people out there, you know, doing port scans and all these other things that they're doing and, and trying to find vulnerabilities. And, you know, I just had a client literally yesterday. Um, it wasn't why he called me, but, you know, he's like, by the way, what's what's this on so my screen? And I look at it, and I, I see an IP address and it's looking for the WP admin file for WordPress. And he's like, why is it why is that coming up in my logs when I'm not running WordPress? Like, because people are going through and they're looking for, you know, WordPress is popular. They're trying to see if you're running that or whatever else you might be running to try to get an idea. These people are looking for a way in. So it, you know, it's not like I'm trying to scare you guys, but I am actually. You've got to, I mean, you know, it sounds like so mundane just patch your servers it sounds easy it sounds simple it even kind of sounds unimportant but it's so important because that's often the only thing that protects you from something happening that's going to disrupt your servers and when they're out of support there's no security patches coming in you know the second day after security support ends your server's not going to explode i've had some people ask me well so my server just expired no it'll work forever as long as the cpu and the parts work but Um, As each day passes without patches, the vulnerabilities in CVE stack and it becomes less and less secure and your reputation is on the line at this point because if you're a managed services provider and you get owned, no one is going to trust you. And I I can't remember the name of the company, I, I probably wouldn't even mention it if I did, but on the news there was a managed services provider that got ripped wide open and they're out of business, period, they're gone. Um, just like that, because they didn't take security seriously. And, um, you know, having contingency plans, disaster recovery plans, prevention plans, migration plans, these are the things I feel like people generally don't have time for that they really need to make time for. And it's so sad that it's not taken as seriously in some enterprises as I wish it was.
1: Yeah. And sometimes you just take them for granted because it's something so obvious, it's something so easy that people do They hardly think about it. You need to upgrade the system, sure, pop in the new version, upgrade it, and you're done. So you need to consider that it's two different worlds. When you're talking about the enterprise, you need to be more careful because they're much more at stake. You need to pay attention to every detail and you need to write stuff down. I know it sounds boring and it sounds like you're just adding more paperwork, but trust me, it will really help you when the proverbial thing hits the fan. Yep. You you need to have something to rely on, and if you have that guide in front of you, you won't be as scared of performing certain steps for the new system, and you'll you'll know what you have to do to get things running again.
0: Yep, and if you have that audio... at
1: hand, that's really useful on on such a situation. Sorry for getting you
0: off. Oh no, no, it's fine. I think there's an audio lag on my end, so I'm just going to blame me. I'm usually right if I blame myself for things. It usually works out. Um, but what I was going to say is often when you, you know, in regards to documentation, it it might be boring to some and not others. I know people that like it. I write books, so I love it, but a lot of people don't. And some people love it and they don't do it well. I mean, there's all these different avenues here, but often what I find is that when you have a new employee join your, your, your IT team, it's often a good idea to get them into documentation right at first. Most people do this. They say, you know, we have the documentation. So since you just started today, why don't you just go ahead and while you're preparing your laptop, you know, just go through the documentation, read up on it, bookmark some articles and things, and you can point them to things. But the new person mentality is so valuable. And I don't think people realize this because when you've worked at a company for like five years, it's muscle memory. When you deploy that server, you literally could – Pretty much do it with a blindfold on at that point. So there's if you have to adjust something, you might not even think about oh the the, the command syntax changed a bit. There's a different option. I'll change the B to a A or something, and you, you keep going, and you don't think to document that. But a new person, they want to know why is it like this? Why is that like that? Why did you design it that way? These people should be going through the documentation and updating it, going through the servers, kind of having a look around, kind of documenting where the things are. Making sure it's up to date. That new person mentality is gone in somewhere between six months to a year, and they become kind of, you know, muscle memory. And then you lose that. (laughs) So if you have a new person starting, get them on the documentation. Absolutely have them work on that because that's going to expose things that you didn't know were wrong. They're gonna yeah, I tried this command in the documentation. It doesn't work. It gives me a seg fault or an error or something. What's going on here? Oh wow, yeah, we. Probably should test our documentation more often.
1: <laughs> yeah, we wrote that for five years versions ago, and it broke.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's really important. But um, getting, you know, getting back to the security side, because I think you know that's a enterprise IT general thing that everyone should be doing. Um, but you know, documenting the migration path and when you install software, um, and, and list out the steps. Maybe it's worth a look. What would this be like on Debian or um, you know, Alma Linux, Rocky Linux, or mm-hmm. OpenSUSE, whatever it is, and just kind of see what it's like. I think that that information might prove valuable in a contingency plan, migration plans. I think it's probably worth dedicating, even if you could dedicate an, an hour every other week to just try things out. I think yeah. well, some companies could probably spare that.
1: Yeah. And if you have that that lab environment that we talked about, sure, get to the lab, deploy a new virtual machine and repeat the steps, see if it breaks, see if it works, and fix whatever needs to be fixed on the documentation.
0: And if you can't find that hour, just cancel that meeting that nobody wants to attend and really doesn't offer any value, let's be honest. Just get that off the calendar and replace it with this and you'll you'll thank us later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things here. And the challenges in particular, you mentioned package names. um, You know, that's really one of the bigger ones uh, where things are located. You mentioned Nagios. When I um, converted my Nagios templates to a, well, I converted to a template, I put a variable for the, you know, plugin path because it's always different. You know, I don't know where that's going to be uh, between Mm -hmm. Debian or CentOS. So rather than, and I used to do this when I first started, as embarrassing as it sounds, I used to maintain, you know, NRPE config for Debian, for CentOS, for Fedora, but then I just merged them all into one document and made a variable out of the path. Those are some great things that you can do, but again, I have an unfair advantage because I'm building my company, enterprises that have been around for a while. Um, They're trying to, you know, get that revenue right now. And sometimes it's hard to find the time to go back and adjust things. There are other differences aside
1: the the package names, stuff like the firewall that uh, each distribution uses. Some yep. distributions I'm yep. moving away from IP tables. I have no idea why it's great. And they're using firewall D or something else. And the syntax is different. It does the same thing in the end, but you need to type the commands differently. So that means again, your deployment scripts will need some adjustment to work with the new firewall that's set up on the servers. Yep. And there are many, many things like that. Even something as trivial as finding the distribution name under ATC, it's different if you're on a Red Hat-based distro than if you're on a Debian-based so It's not the same file, it's on a different location. Yep. And yeah, stuff like that that will break your scripts, will break your integrations, and it needs to be looked over before you do the migration or afterwards if you want to let things break and fix them.
0: Yeah, don't let things break. You definitely don't want to let things break because that's going to make everything a lot harder um, I've run into other problems where a package just isn't available in the repositories at all in this other distribution. Maybe something has to be compiled um, from source. Um, I still don't understand why HTOP isn't included in the CentOS distribute or the repositories without adding Apple, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, there, but there's mm-hmm. things like that. And then there's also SE Linux, which um, the thing is yeah. um, You know, if you're on Debian, you you probably haven't had to contend with that. But then you move to a Red Hat based, you know, distro, you're you're going to deal with that. And and here's the thing: I've been working on with Linux for I don't know, 18 to 20 years now, and I still, to this day, will run into a problem. Why is this not working? And then 10 minutes later, oh yeah, SE Linux, and and do not disable it. Please don't (laughs) disable SE Linux. We need to like totally expunge this culture of. SE Linux is getting in the way. We need to disable it. No, SE Linux is actually helping you, and it's a benefit of your distribution. Find out how to add your edge case to SE Linux so that you can still benefit from SE Linux. So you know you have to add an edge case to it. That that I mean, there's that difference too. And you mentioned firewall. There's like the firewall-cmd command in Red Hat based distros, and then um, Ubuntu ships UFW as their front end to the firewall management. Um, Deb. Ubuntu is using um, what's the name of that new network stack? I can't bring it out of my brain. Um, I can't remember. But Ubuntu, it, I'll, I'll probably be upset with myself for not remembering this. But um, people you know, will
1: mention it in the comments. Don't worry.
0: Yeah, they will. Um, but you know, I wrote the book on it. How embarrassing is that? Um, <laughs> but but honestly, they they have a new network system where you actually write YAML files to. Um, you know, set up your network. And then, of course, Debian has Etsy network interfaces. Then you go to CentOS and it's SC sysconfig networks and then network scripts or whatever it is. And you have to go in there. Uh, you want to create a bridge on CentOS. It's completely different on Debian. The package name is still bridge utils on both, but that's where the similarities end. Let me tell you, I just ran into this this week. Yeah. Um, and I can go on. There's a bunch of these differences yeah. on there.
1: Don't get me started on network manager and why you should remove it every time.
0: Right. <laughs> I like having it reconnect when I plug in the cable, to be honest. I don't, like, yeah. I don't like to disconnect the cable and then plug it back in and all of a sudden it never gets an IP again. But yeah, You mentioned
1: SE Linux, but I have to admit I need to to Google every time I need to change something on SE Linux. I'm never going to memorize all those commands.
0: There's no good documentation for it. I mean, there's decent documentation here and there, but there's no SE Linux for dummies or like the SE Linux website with all the commands that... I mean, people. We should probably all be getting together, and we want to enable something in se Linux to so just jot the command down and have just one master list of commands for enabling different things, so we can go in there and actually just have a cheat sheet. I'm sure probably someone's already done this, and I'm just not um, aware of it. Um, but but se Linux will allow or basically enforce things to not do things out of context. So, you know, if you're trying to set SSH to use a port other than 22. It's yeah, going to say, uh, "What are you doing?" No, 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 no. SSH is supposed to be on 22. I don't know what you're doing. This is weird. We're going to not let this work. And then maybe you want SSH on a different port. You have to put in a um, exception for that. But that's mm-hmm. just how it is, and it helps you. So if a um, someone breaks into your system and they try to um, break out of one app and into another one, that's where se Linux is really going to help.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And. <laughs> Again, those are just some of the things that are different between the distributions. There is one fundamental thing that is, you also need to consider, which is binary compatibility. Mm-hmm. If you're using CentOS because you want to run something that's designed for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and you're not win- and you don't want to pay the license for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, so you're running CentOS, which is binary compatible with RHEL. If you want to keep running that application, whatever thing that you choose as your new distribution has to be binary compatible as well, or else it will not run that application. Right. Um, Binary compatibility is maintained between inside families, for example, Red Hat-based distributions or Debian-based distributions. And if you move outside of those families of distributions, you will need to find a new version of the application. Right. And that will affect things like licensing you already have for the application, like uh, seats that you can run it on, like deployment that you have for that application. And that's just another of the layers that are involved in uh, operating system migration. Again, and I cannot stress this enough, it's not as easy as it looks at face value. It's not just upgrading the system.
0: Yep. uh, That's, you know, no truer words have been spoken. That is absolutely the case. And it's kind of like coming through in the podcast uh, as people that have battled in the trenches here. And and we've seen these error messages come up and we've asked that question, why doesn't this work? Oh my God, what's going on? You know, I get to edit all that out in the videos I do. So you never get to see me actually say things like that. I should probably do a a gag reel on that. It'd be hilarious. (laughs) But the fact is, you know, we, we've seen this and we've seen it time and time again. And, you know, it's it's a real thing. And it's complex. There's standards here. But let's be honest, who all follows the standards to the letter? Like even the file system hierarchy standard isn't followed to the letter in different distributions. So, pretty much just a suggestion.
1: It can boil down just to, to a different version number on a, on glibc or OpenSSL or something like that. And the application requiring that function that comes just with that specific version. And when you move to a new one that's a version lower or a version above, the parameters will be different or something like that. And it will not work. You'll get a sec fault, you'll get a core dump. And the application will crash yep. and yeah those are the the pitfalls that can that can trip you when you're trying to to move to a different operating system and that's why it takes so long to actually get the the right the right distribution to move to
0: absolutely so what would you do you have any tips in general about i know we gave quite a few already um you know some closing tips or things as, as far as you know, what companies can do. We already mentioned, you know, just trying things out in a VM or something, just kind of document how things work out, kind of have a a plan here. Um, Maybe we could say when you're choosing a distribution for the first time, or you want to choose a distribution to move to, what would you feel are like the the factors that you should take into consideration?
1: Mainly the use case. If you know exactly what your use case is, just look for exactly the same the same packages on the new distribution. If you okay. have the same packages that you that you want and that you are already using, you're halfway there. It's, it's just a matter of moving the data across and getting the new installations in place and the new configuration, but at least you're moving in known waters. You're not going somewhere completely new that you have to learn where everything is, and you f- still have to learn the ropes of how to do it move to something that at least is similar to what you already have. It will save you a lot of trouble. And because on this specific case with CentOS, you don't have much time to do it, you should go probably with something similar. You shouldn't move too far away from it. Only because of time. If you actually want to go to something different, then you really need to to save some more time. And you need to get more people on board and involved like your all of your sysadmins admins in place because they will know what is on the servers and they will know if something was changed from default configuration that you're not aware of, something like you said, by muscle memory. And they will be aware of it because they did it. Mm-hmm. So they might catch those situations before they go into the plan. And you should have started yesterday. Yeah, For this specific do. migration, you should have already started. It's already
0: too late. Absolutely. And if you're a startup, I would I would totally say to just at least, you know, entertain the idea, of you know maintaining a few different configurations as long as it's not too much work. You know, depending what the company does and you know what what that entails, but um, definitely do that. Also, look at the components too. You mentioned the packages and the package names. I mean, sometimes people might not really notice the bootloader, which we don't really think about that. But, you know, we have systemd boot now, for example, and some distributions are using that. And I've seen backup utilities that are expecting grub and won't work because they don't see grub. I mean, there's they're just look at the different components and just yeah, test yeah. things out.
1: Yeah. And actually, <laughs> properly upgrading the UEFI boot is one of the hardest parts of the upgrade. If your new migration has some issues with that, you should really reconsider choosing something else because that's going to be a lot of trouble to fix, just that issue alone.
0: Yeah. How did we ever make something as simple as booting so complicated. No idea,
1: it baffles me today. I, oh my gosh, yeah, it should you just, know,
0: just give control to the, you know, have the bootloader just hand it over to the kernel yeah. to start up, but um, no, we got to. It, it was to much easier before.
1: And... It was much easier before. I, I look at right. this and I see, and I see almost the same thing that happened with IPv6. You want to know why IPv6 is not being used? It's because it was designed for machines, not humans. And the humans are the ones that actually have to type them in the names, uh, the numbers. Everybody can remember a few IPv4 addresses, but hardly anyone can memorize the IPv6 ones. They're just too long and they're in hexadecimal. Nobody has 16 fingers to count them. So, yeah, it wasn't designed for humans. And that's why it's yeah. it's not implemented yet and it's not that widespread so yet. And, and with the, the UEFA bootloader, it's the same thing. They overcomplicated something that didn't need to be so complicated.
0: Yeah, I know some people are probably listening and they're like, Well, why would you even think to remember the IP addresses? You should be using DNS for that. And yeah. then my response is always, Well, if companies always made the right choice, we wouldn't even have a podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's been a very awesome episode. I, this was great. I love this. So uh, hopefully that gets the conversation started at your organization. because I think that's the takeaway here is to have the conversation. If um, a distribution that you're using now, it makes you nervous to think that it might not be the distribution you're going to be using next year or who, whoever knows how long. Um, if that makes you nervous, you know, have a conversation with your people. Let, let's get that conversation going. Because I think putting that on the table and getting input from your peers would really help you to determine what the best way forward is. And and just like you said, if you haven't moved off of CentOS 8 yet, um, oh, my God, what are you waiting for? Let's get going on that. Um, I don't think procrastination is going to pay off with that. It may have paid Mm -hmm. off with CentOS 7. It's not going to pay off with um, CentOS 8. So it's time to go.
1: Yeah. And if you have hundreds of servers or thousands of servers, you should have a migration pass, something written down, just in case something like this happens in the future. Who knows when something like this happens again and the company decides to change support without notice.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening and or watching, depending on how you are digesting this content. And we'll see you again in two weeks. Bye, guys. Thanks. Bye.